This intro is going to be extremely short for the sole reason that Lilek very kindly, graciously and therapeutically decided it was time somebody else asked the questions. Luckily, she was willing to undertake this sacrificial task. The result is a reflective, revealing and fun conversation about Two and a Mic, me, community work, society and the ways topics and guests are found to join me on the podcast, not to mention some other topical issues of interest. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And thank you, Dr. Lilek. I'm joined by Lilek, who today is, um, yeah, actually appearing in a slightly different role. But anyway, first of all, how are you, Lilek? Well, I'm fine. I wanted to say welcome to your podcast. Yeah, sorry. I'm going to be the one who interviews you today. No problem. I mean, that's habit energies. But I'm I'm gonna take on the role. You're gonna you're not gonna be able to <laughs> derail. Okay. So um, how are you? Yeah, I, I'm actually not bad. Um, suddenly <laughs> I developed a bit of a headache, but uh, yeah, it's amazing that this would happen at such an opportune moment. Um, I'm well, thank you, thank you. Uh, and and can I ask how you are? Yes, I'm I'm good. I went dancing last night. I um. I mean, it was a really great night uh, as a, you know, as a therapist, which you wanted to point out. Uh, first of all, I, I have to take care of myself, too, like with all of the problems I'm listening to. No, but I'm a solution focused therapist. So usually I I try to talk. Uh, so just to to let you know, I try to talk about things more uh, from a point of view which is positive and resource-based and hopefully helpful. Of course, other therapists do that too, but the 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 kind of therapy that I'm following is is very much centered in that. Fantastic. I, I straight away to my mind, I have questions, but I'm not, I'm not allowed to ask them today. So <laughs> I'm, I'll make a note for future. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So while you make your notes. Yes, doctor. Um, I I really am not I'm not a podcast person. So um, I have been on two podcasts now without even listening to many podcasts. Um, well, five episodes in your podcast <laughs> and one episode in another ah, podcast. Okay, you know, I see. there are more podcasts, but now I I want to know more about your podcast. And f- first of all, I want to know. Uh, how how this came to be what was the idea behind it yeah that's a cool it's a cool question because actually i think it's changed um from what it was at the beginning to what it became so first of all i used to be really active on social media um because i found it very entertaining i love listening as you can probably imagine to different people's ideas and so on and and, and i really appreciated that but then what i found was on social media it this there was um, a very, I won't say coordinated, but a distinct development of hate speech, 
um, of hatefulness, of negativity, of pure just attacking people for being whatever they may have been, um, whether it was black or uh, religion or if it was because they were um, female. And, you know, all of these negative comments were so negative. It's just too positive a term, really horrible. Um, and so I came off uh, social media completely. But then so many things were happening in the political sphere. And I would, yeah, I'd be watching the news or reading something. And then straight away, I'd look for my Twitter icon to, to write something about it. And it wasn't there anymore because I'd removed myself from social media. So what I wanted to do was create a channel where I could listen on the one hand to other people's opinions and voices, but also be able to express myself without the limitation of, I don't know, 180 characters um, and, and make sure that I had a voice as well um, within the ether, the, the Internet ether and so on. And that was basically why I, I began it. Um, but then I quickly realized I learned so much from all the people I listened to. Um, and since then, it's just been a, a project to branch out and develop my awareness. And, and that's what I continue to do. So, okay, so it's a kind of personal development project too. So, it has become that. I've really, I mean, people like yourself, um, and, and, you know, and all the people that I have. I don't want to name them all now because it, it's, I'm so happy to say there are so many people that I've spoken to. But all of the people that I've spoken to, I've learned so much from them, um, and they've uh, inspired me to then go on and learn more um, about what they were talking about. I, I really have learned a lot. Okay, we'll get to that later. <laughs> mm, but I didn't even—I don't even know when the podcast started. Yeah, this would be when I finish this year. It will be like the third full year. Okay, so it was during COVID times, was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, January 2021 was when it started, basically. Okay, so right, 2021. Has yeah. it has it helped you somehow, or didn't you did did you not struggle with the with the situation around COVID? Because it's it's really nice to be able to talk to so many different people without restriction, and the internet has made that possible for all of us. And I think it has helped us to to connect, and in some ways connect even more. Um, and wider. I mean, I can say that from my own activism, I was talking to people from Extinction Rebellion from all over Germany, and we we might not have done that if it if it hadn't been for the pandemic. Yeah, I, I've been told that it's not necessarily the best thing to compare one situation with another and to say, yeah, but there are always people in worse situations than mine, and that's not the best way to look at the world. Um, in this case, what I can say is that my awareness of how other communities really struggled in comparison to how we dealt with things in Germany, that I felt it was unfair of me to complain. Um, yes, there were restrictions, um, but we were allowed to go out if it was for exercise. We were allowed to go out to to go to the shop under controlled conditions, of course, but we were provided with solutions for doing this. There was medical support when we needed to. I even had an operation on my nose during Corona times. Um, at the beginning, when I started the podcast, 
Um, I spoke with a person in um, Bolivia. I spoke with a person in China. I spoke with a person in Cyprus. Um, I spoke with a person in Italy, as in, and I, I learned about how these varied communities dealt with things. And for many people, the restrictions that we had would have represented liberty to them. Mm-hmm. In can, many you, ways. can you give a, a give an example? Uh, yeah. So, for example, some people in uh, South America were basically given bleach as a way of dealing with or killing the coronavirus. So they would basically pump bleach into their systems. Um, and obviously that never happened uh, in, in Germany very quickly. Within a year, we, we had a vaccine. And while we were being given our corona vaccines, these people were still being given bleach. Um, that, I, I thought that was a joke, actually. That was that that famous um, famous Mr. Mr. Trump joke, but it it seems to have been reality in some places. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also uh, some of the people I spoke with in Italy, you know, there were police on the streets basically saying you can't go more than a certain amount, a certain distance from your homes. So uh, there were like young people who played sports and, and they basically had to run up and down their street because they couldn't go beyond those areas. Uh, and I remember when I went, I went running, I, no, but no police officer said to me, oh, you're three kilometers from your home. You have to go back. What are you doing? Um, so there are lots of relative freedoms that we enjoyed during those restrictions that a lot of other countries didn't have. And I also remember a German student of mine, when he traveled to China for business during this period, he had to spend two weeks in his hotel room. He was not allowed yes. to leave his hotel room for two weeks. Um, and so we had English lessons every day, more or less, so that he could uh, <laughs> relieve his burden uh, in some way. Um, and that was really hard. Okay, so you 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 were also able to play the therapist and that, and that <laughs> the time. very the very amateur therapist. Yeah. <laughs> well, that might be very helpful. And um, well, it's called the social podcast, right? So what yeah. what makes it a social podcast? Um, the fact that uh, I put uh, communities, uh, people to the forefront, that I take uh, a social interest um, in humanity that it's not about promoting my political ideas. It's not about promoting business. It's not about promoting economics. It's about people. It's about bringing people together. It's about finding commonalities and giving voices to those communities which have not been the loudest um, in the past. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested in that, but um First of all, I, I would like to ask some very, very uh, simple questions. Uh, for example, I'm interested in, in knowing what do you like most about the podcast? You you have kind of answered it already, but like when you do a podcast, what do you enjoy the most? And also in thinking about who to interview next. Uh, yeah, who to interview next is almost, I wouldn't quite say scattergunned uh, in the sense that I just randomly send out messages. I, I, I as We were talking before and you mentioned inspiration. Um, and I, I think inspiration is something which 
it has moments it turns up in your life and you either grasp it or you don't and with regards to choosing who i approach for um, the podcast it's the same so i remember going through twitter and um, extinction rebellion was quite prominent in that particular moment that i was watching what was happening and so i contacted uh, extinction rebellion because i wanted to uh, interview somebody and that's how we got to you know, into contact with one another um a few weeks ago on Instagram, uh, Omar's gig in Rechts, Grandmothers Against the Right, um, they were also quite prominent and I contacted them and I'm hopeful that uh, we were supposed to have one, but it didn't work out. But hopefully in the future that will happen too. Um, it's it's really being inspired by the messages that other people communicate. Um, and because social media is so big, I miss so many things that I know other people miss a lot of things too. So if I have a method of capturing a moment of conversation with these inspirational groups and people and saving it in my podcast, then other people can come back to those whenever they want. Amen. <laughs> and and uh, is that what you like most about the podcast or is, is there is there something is there something else? I'm I'm sure you will you've had this too because you are perhaps even more interested in in people than than I am um i've had so many great moments conversations with friends with family with people i don't even know anymore um and i i wish i had recorded them i wish i had some way of revisiting those those moments but they're gone except to my aging mind um with this podcast, I have captured a, a moment which can be revisited. Uh, and I, I like that. All right. I mean, it, it almost sounds like it's your legacy. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until I die and stop paying the bills. But yeah, of course. Then. <laughs> well, yeah. it's a trace you leave behind, right? I guess. And also you give you give uh, other people the chance to leave their traces and to express themselves and and maybe influence other people um, in a positive way. And what do you like the least about oh, the podcast? Ed editing. Editing. I'm so bad. Um, I've become a lot better. Uh, the problem is the better you become, the longer it takes. Um, I, I had a, a podcast with somebody. Uh, a couple of months ago it was a really good podcast but there was um internet connection problem and this person was in germany um so it's not like we we were talking across continents but every 10 or 15 seconds the um, the connection wavered and sometimes or in the middle of a word so I had to go and then cut out the space that was created in between each word every 10 oh seconds. Oh, God. Yeah. So a podcast of like 40 minutes took me six and a half hours to edit. And that was so frustrating. But yeah, that's uh, it had to be done. It was worth it. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to I would have to listen to the podcast to tell you. Um, I'll tell so, you later which one it is. Yeah, yeah sure. And and you you already mentioned it a little bit, but I want I want to know more um, more concretely what have you learned about yourself through this role as an interviewer on the podcast? 
I've been very generously complimented a few times for being a very good listener. Um, and, and I always felt that I, I like to listen to people. So whenever a friend or somebody had a problem, I always said, look, you know, let's let's get together and just t tell me what's going on. Um, and, and so I, I kind of have always tried to improve my abilities as a, as a listener. But in the podcast, what I realized was that it's important to give the other people the opportunity, the a complete free reign of their speech. And I think that's what I've really developed further. So even now, I quite often I feel something, a thought comes to mind and I want to jump in. But very often, usually I manage to control myself. So there's two things. So listening has improved as ability and also self-control. Okay. Mm. But and, and how come you you're, you're, you were such a good listener in the first place? Um, I don't actually know the exact reason for, I think, I think because in some ways when I grew up, so my, uh, my dad as a, as a ch when I was a child and my brothers, uh, we were children, he was very strict. So when he wanted to focus on the movie, um, he made sure there was no background noise. <laughs> and I, and I think I learned, okay, I won't say anything. Okay, so you you actually used it for the good. I, I think it was uh, developed that way naturally. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's 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 how sometimes we can use things that we learn in our childhood, which were maybe not not so positive in the first place, or we felt restricted or whatever, so that we can use them later on when we decide how to use them or how to develop them further if and if so how and uh, i think listening is is a very important thing because you can learn a lot about yourself listening to other people and also of course about other people and this being said you you already said that that you've met so many amazing interesting people but I, I want to know, like, what comes to mind when when you think of a very special moment um, in the podcast series or a, very, a person that has left a, a big impression on you or what the person has said has left a big impression on you? Um, a couple of times I've and this was before I had I, I connected with the video. So now we're we can see each other. But there were occasions when we could not see each other. And um, yeah, people would tell me stories which I found quite emotional. And uh, yeah, I, I yeah, luckily, as it's a podcast, you don't see <laughs> the emotion. But there were some places where, you know, basically my my heart dropped into my stomach and um, I was like, oh, my God, did that really happen um other scenarios have simply been that i've had to go away and learn or relearn what i thought i knew um and there's a great movie which i often quote called um town hall and one of the statements is that the only thing new in this world is the history you do not yet know um, and I quote that quite a bit because I think it's important that people realize that there are so many elements to history we have no idea of. But if we were to know, 
what those um, events had been and how they had transpired, that maybe we would see the world uh, in a different way. Um, and listening to people online, for example, talking about gender equality, for example, talking about racial equality, um, colonialism, uh, economics, and you know, you know, white supremacy, and all of these topics. Um, I've gone back, I've done some research, and I've been well, how could I not have been taught this when I was growing up? How could I not have seen how women were being treated in my class or girls when I was growing up? Um, and that's a that's a heavy reflection, I think. Mm-hmm. But are you blaming yourself? Um, I I think in some ways I was also a part of the the system, and so therefore, you know, if I could happily go about my tasks um, without seeing or feeling how other people may have felt, then um, I, I think. I had to work. That told me I had to work on my observational abilities. Uh, I'll give you another example. When I was, I think, seven or eight, I think it was six or seven years old. So absolutely zero blame uh, could be attached to me um, as a child because I would never attach any blame to a a child of that age or even up to 16 or 17. But when I was six or seven, my um, my tutor uh, was sexually abusing girls in my class Um, and I only found this out later when there was a a small newspaper advert uh, and he'd been imprisoned for child sexual abuse Um, and I never knew I never knew about it Um, and I think this also told me you've got to be far more aware um, because that just cannot happen basically under your nose and you don't notice it and the worst thing is it happened again when i was 13 14 15 um that uh, girls in my school were being sexually abused by a teacher who i actually had a very good relationship with um and again i never knew and yeah it's just not acceptable Yeah, I think it's it's important to to see that we we can we can create more awareness and at the same time we need to forgive ourselves for what we've what we have not seen because we we might not have been able to see it at that time with the information or uh, we had or with the uh, the mindset we had and um, if we cannot let that go will burden ourselves more and more because usually we look we we look at the mistakes we've made in our lives and not at the things that have gone well but the things that have gone wrong and those are the things that bother us not the things that have gone well and and so this is also something that I try to discuss with my clients about how how what what well the mistakes they have made um, have helped them to to create something good out of it, and of course, which which were the things that helped them um, that the positive things that they have experienced in their lives, and also the 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 positive um, things that they have created. 
And I guess the podcast is one of them in your life. I hope so. I hope so. It, it, I keep doing it, so it must be something quite positive. <laughs> yeah. And and more on the light side, Zach. Um, mm. I we have we have uh, our anecdotes uh, between um uh, <clears throat> between you you and I. But is there is there another one like a funny story that you can tell about the podcast and about uh, a person that you interviewed? Um. Yeah, that's a, what the misunderstanding that we had um, about your <laughs> who you were and your gender. My identity. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the Polish male that you were. Um, you know, no, I, I haven't actually got anything quite. Well, there's something a little bit funny. So my I, I do also a podcast sort of series with my um, older brother. Uh, about books so we're both crazy about literature so and, and Greg reads uh, a lot more than than I do um, and he's also um, yeah a, a guy with just a ridiculous amount of knowledge um, but we were supposed to do this podcast as brothers so there are three of us but my my little brother arms he doesn't want to appear on the podcast he doesn't want to speak um you know <laughs> in a public domain as it were so for our first podcast with greg we had uh, rubber duck um to represent our little brother and uh, every time we wanted to have a mini break basically the rubber duck would would quack um and uh, that was the that was quite entertaining we were supposed to continue that but the the squeak was so loud in the microphone i had to <laughs> had to stop it um but yeah that's uh, that was quite entertaining so it was rubber duck greg yeah Rub rubber duck arms greg was the one who actually turned up and spoke oh, right 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 yeah, rubber yeah, duck yeah. arms yeah. Uh, what did arms say about it um he, uh he refused to comment i think um he i guess he laughed it off he's the thing is about armin he's extremely witty um he's a clever chap he's extremely funny um and it's such a shame that he doesn't come on because whenever we get together just the three brothers um and occasionally with our uncle as well uncle hair who's bald um whenever we get together we have such a funny <laughs> time we just laugh at each other the whole time and it's extremely entertaining um and i'd love this is one of those moments that i'd love to capture um but i can't it's funny because as a buddhist um I understand that, but it's a, it's a grasping, right? This is like impermanence, and those those moments you can remember, but it it is something that is also something that we we can let go. It's like when I see people um, watching a beautiful sunset nowadays, they don't watch anymore. They film it, they they put it on Instagram, they do a snapshot video about it it's like look reality is right in front of your eyes and you just you just try to transform it as soon as you see it you you try to to grab it and own it and those those moments we cannot own we can just experience them and and um and live them and enjoy them in the moment and of course enjoy them again in our in our memory but also this is futile Yeah, and and you remind me of another story. I was once when um, before Corona, I was um, I had a lunch break uh, and I was sitting in a park on a bench, 
and reading news on my phone and a, a woman walked past and she started speaking to me and this was before I could speak German I, I said sorry I, I, my German is not very good so she switched to English and she said look around you you're sitting in this lovely park um, and look at all these fantastic colors but you don't see it because you're looking at your phone and she said I'm sorry that's all I wanted to say and then she walked away and I thought wow <laughs> Well, and nowadays that was, I think, some years ago, right, Zach? Yeah, yeah. When people weren't looking at their phones 24-7 yet. And now it has become such a habit and and we're just we're just glued to our phones and we, we cannot we cannot even sometimes see other people because the phone is is between uh, between us. Yeah, it's it's really something that mm, that that changes the way we perceive things and that we reprocess information and what i've what i've uh, noticed is that when i was uh, younger like a teenager i didn't have a cell phone till my 18th birthday and only because people were complaining that i was never <laughs> at home and <laughs> that they couldn't reach me and i was like okay so i'll get a cell phone is fine and but but since then and also with the evolution of the internet and the <clears throat> the use of the internet uh, my my attention span has sized down like uh, 50%. I could concentrate very, very well. Like I could learn uh, a, a topic, school topic for three hours and I, I couldn't ha handle any any noise around me, but I could concentrate. And now I'm like, oh, I need a break or I need some distraction and I could watch a video and we all know that, right? But for me, it's very, I'm very thankful that I had the period before and now after because I have a comparison and I, I guess that the, the young people and, and people who are maybe not as aware, I don't know, and who don't reflect that, they are, they, they don't have that. They, they cannot tell. They don't know any better maybe because they have grown up with it and i'm so thankful that i have grown up without without the internet without a cell phone and um yeah my mom she was a teacher or yeah she she worked as a teacher and she had a typewriter she was oh. she was uh preparing the the sheets uh, the exercises uh, on her typewriter that's what she did and uh that's how i grew up you know and I didn't miss anything. That's just crazy. Typewriter. I, I remember seeing a typewriter in action as well, but um, that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was in, Arme <laughs> in Armenian. Yeah. Yeah. And it was even more random. Yeah. For me anyway. Yeah. And, and coming back to the podcast is, is there my, I mean, you told, you told me that uh, it's, it's more, it's arbitrary. Uh, how you choose people uh, and and topics but is there any special topic or person that you absolutely still want to have on the podcast oh there are loads of people i'd love to have um on the podcast but um you know, most of them are beyond my reach what i would say is that i've prioritized um female voices i i i feel that Even though my podcast is extremely small, I think if there were a million small podcasts like mine, um, then that would amplify so many times over 
the the number of women who are in public space giving their opinions on things because the more we hear women talking about things the more normal it becomes and this is why it's very important to have women in positions of management um, in influential positions so that people can actually really realize that this is where they should be in society we need to maintain that level or create that level of equality and then maintain it um, and this is also why I try to expand other uh, other kinds of racial groups as well. Um, I want to talk about racism. I want to talk about discrimination. Um, on top of that, I want to actively increase um, my uh, the number of LGBTQ people who are on the podcast. I, I don't have I think I've only had one um person to to talk with about that topic and, and i want to really improve upon that i've undertaken this i've asked questions of people to 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 come on and talk with me um it's not easy to find people who are not already out in the mainstream as it were and the people who are already out in the mainstream would naturally seek a far greater form of amplification than what i provide um so uh, yeah that's th these are the voices that I, I i'm looking for because um i think they need uh, a, a greater opportunity to 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 express themselves and we we've already like we're basically talking about a form of activism that's that's what i see and uh, you you told me that you were active in in london when you were in the like you come from from an Armenian background and you were engaged in the Armenian community you mentioned that and I would like to know more about that oh well okay yeah so yeah I was born in London so British Armenian and um, we had our little community I think it was of about 12,000 Armenians in London at the time um I went to Armenian Saturday School. I went to Armenian Scouts. I played basketball and football for an Armenian sports team. We spoke Armenian at home. Um, and so it was very much a question of uh, yeah, a bubble, but it was a hard bubble. Um, and, and I basically had two lives. I had the, the life of my school um, and also some of my I had a couple of sports teams which I played for, which were English. Um, But then when I came out of that, I was very clearly in an alternative reality, which was the Armenian community. So we were very active. We would organize events, camps, um, in some cases, exhibitions, um, political evenings where we would invite a politician from Armenia or somewhere else to talk about uh, the Armenian community, either in another country or in Armenia, um, yeah, educational workshops and so on. So we did a lot of lot of things we had a lot of meetings um I, I, there were some years where i would have four or five meetings a week um and, and it was very it took a lot it it really took a lot and to be honest when when i left the community i said to myself man what have, why did i give so much time um for a situation where people just don't appreciate it and then but what i learned was afterwards in doing my job as an english language trainer um and 
communicating with, in some cases, high ranking professionals within their organizations was that everything I had learned as you know, from a child up until my 30s when I stopped my participation in the Armenian community because I left the country, um, I learned organizational techniques. I learned uh, human behavioral techniques. Uh, how could I say, you know, observational data I had gathered on human behavior was immense. And so I had all of these people telling me about their problems at work, and I knew exactly who they were talking about. It's just in my case, it was a person with an Armenian name, but they were behaving exactly the same way as, I don't know, Jürgen or Bernd or I don't know what else, Robert. Um, but I, I knew exactly the kind of things that were going on. And I basically, my community was a microcosm of the much larger world. Um, and my process of, of leaving that was expanding my mind to recognize not just that bubble, but the bigger bubble. One thought I had was, can you tell an Armenian joke? Oh, my word. So I'm just going to uh, put that forward. <laughs> oh, I'm terrible at telling jokes. I like to be witty, but uh, I'm terrible at telling jokes. <laughs> Would I? Um, I'm trying to remember uh, an Armenian joke now. You've really put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. Um, or what an, I will, an Armenian what I, proverb. Yeah, an Armenian proverb. I'll, I'll tell an Armenian proverb, which is very, it's exactly the same as uh, a, a one, an international one. Agnantagan um, yevadamnant adaman. Uh, which means uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay. Is that also how the Armenians had to had to fight? I mean, or how do you uh, use that? <laughs> it's funny because that, that, this will probably end up leading us on to another topic which you wanted to raise. Um, there's a there's a, a famous uh, uh, Armenian Catholicos called Khrimian Hayrik. And he had this very interesting tale to tell of when all of the powers of the world that came to a meeting, they turned up with a metal ladle, which they would use to take uh, soup from the bowl, uh, as it were, or from the cauldron into their bowl. Um, but the Armenian representative turned up with a ladle made of paper. And when he tried to take his soup, obviously, it didn't work out. Now, one of my immediate responses was, I hope I wasn't the guy that turned up after him, because then I'd have you know, paper in my soup. But um, you know, what he was clearly trying to say was that when you have other people around you who are armed, who are um, aggressive, who are violent, you can't always respond with politeness you can't always respond with um, diplomacy and education and so on um, and, and this is something that we have to remember Armenia at the time had been um, left without a ruler for 600 years the the Ottoman Empire had been basically exterminating Armenians wherever they could uh, which culminated in the attempt of genocide in which started in 1915 um, and so therefore, there is this huge backdrop to that particular statement. Um, and so, yeah, so our, our, but our Armenians were considered farmers, tradespeople, uh, creative builders. Um, 
uh, you know, architects in some cases and so on. They were not fighters. Um, they were forced to learn that. And that's mm -hmm. why. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just have this this topic uh, in the back of my head that we were that we were um, talking about last time, which which you uh, which you put uh, put on the table, uh, which is identity. And I think that well that that's for a reason. And I, I remember just one thing very clearly that you told me in the episode that you had a very clear uh, stable sense of identity and that that people uh, were coming and still are coming to you for advice how to find themselves and whatever uh, how how where's the connection to what you just said i i guess it it has something to do with you growing up in a community where you had to identify like where you, where you had to kind of built a sense of being Armenian and also you said it was a hard bubble so the there were the others and there were the the insiders and the outsiders but you were also in both worlds right growing up yeah yeah uh, I think that's why because um, we are taught as human beings to categorize um, we have to this is how we learn so you know Okay, we are educated along the lines of what is this, what like food, okay, uh, so this is food or drink, okay, this is drink. So we categorize our minds and we, we develop our understanding of the world through the categories and the boxes and containers that we create. Um, so when I was growing up, I knew that I was Armenian because that's what we spoke. Um, but I was also forced to go to school. And so at school, people didn't speak Armenian. They spoke English, um, plus other languages, of course. Um, so I, I already knew that I had to exist within two different realities. Um, but then because of my natural curiosity, I also you know, very much saw that the world was not simply a question of Armenians and English people, as in when I went to school in uh, in London, there were people from India, people from Pakistan, Bangladesh, people from different African countries, people from different Asian countries. And, and you can observe these different realities and different cultures. And so you learn a bit more about them. And, and what I kind of uh, felt about myself is that I can apply different elements of my identity, as it were, um, at different times and but it's not a conscious decision so now who am i okay i'm a, i'm a heterosexual male um i have armenian ethnic origin i uh, was born in the uk but i've lived in italy i'm now also german um so who am i um and i i don't need to make a decision actually what does it matter if somebody says is that how are you yeah I'm all right. I could be better. I could be worse. Um, other times I'll say, okay, who are you, Zach? And I say, I'm just Zach. And, and I don't represent any of the things that I am. I don't speak for anybody who shares any one of these characteristics with me. I just speak for myself. If you agree, then cool. If you don't agree, even better. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that that that's a great gift that you got from from where I don't really know, but that that I guess that helped you navigate the the two worlds and maybe and and many other worlds uh, and helped you take the the best the best out of them. I don't know where it comes from. I really don't. I I think maybe sometime early I read the right book or um, I, I listened to the right people. Um, I, I I can't say. I wish I could say because then I would teach it. 
I don't know. Um, but I'm still learning as in, you know, and that's as we spoke up with this podcast, you know, uh, I like to think that I know quite a lot about certain things. And the truth is I'm often confronted with the reality that actually I know a lot less than I thought I knew. What, what I was thinking when you were talking was that in, in my Buddhist tradition, um, we 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 try to reconnect with the ancestors. So uh, you can blame the good and the bad on your ancestors. When you don't know where something comes from, you can say, "Okay, it's my ancestors. That that's that they have to they have to take all all of the blame." Now, of course not. That's a joke. But it it the connection with the ones that came before us is something that we've forgotten mostly in our Western world, and especially I think in well in 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 the past century we've had so much so much trouble, so many so many wars going on, which are still very well, more or less fresh in our memory because we we have been fighting wars. Humankind has been fighting wars um, also throughout history, but we can still we we have material like visual material, um, films and and uh, audios, and we also have have experiences in our family, and even if we don't know about them, we can feel them somehow. That's that's what I'm very curious about, and that that's what we in therapy put more and more in in the center of our work. That's that's genera- transgenerational trauma, and of course also transgenerational benefits. But again, the trauma is is the unresolved, and it's something that that we we try to work through because it bothers us so much or it, it restricts us so much in our daily lives and and you've you've already talked about the genocide in Armenia and your um, the the ethnic group that you belong to is scattered it's a diaspora so well how have you had uh like contact with this in your own family and and if so how how did you work with it yeah there are there are members of my family i've never met and never will meet uh, because i also don't fly um, anymore and so that's just not going to change now Um, but i've also met lots and lots of armenians in different parts of the world from different parts of the world we used to meet for international jamborees uh, in armenia um, and i would see all of these people and what was really funny i remember for example i went to um, a meeting in armenia um, when at the time we were invited by the the armenian government um, one of the ministries um, and whenever the representative the armenian representative from the usa got up to speak all of the Armenian representatives from the Middle East, from Iraq, Iran, um, Lebanon, they would all um, and, and and I thought that was very, very amusing. Uh, the representative from the USA, who probably himself had also been born in the Middle East, but moved afterwards to the USA, he also found that quite amusing. Um, but it was, uh, in many ways, it said a lot about Armenian identity so wherever armenians go as much as they create a bubble around their communities they still assimilate into the the cultures and they take on those characteristics and they take on the language um 
So therefore, when you listen to a French Armenian speaking, there is an extremely strong French accent um, or a British Armenian has, a, you know, can have a, a strong British accent when they speak Armenian. Um, and, and they also share, you know, the national, if you can call them national characteristics, you can't, of course, because that's a horrible generalization. Um, but if there were kinds of traits that mm -hmm. you would recognize among some of them, um, like the Armenians from Italy, they were very flamboyant and it's very you know, expressive with their hands and so on. Um, yeah, and, and these kinds of things. So it's, yeah, it's interesting the way the Armenian diaspora uh has developed i guess yeah yeah it sounds a little bit like like the jewish diaspora they they have a very particular sense of humor and which also de developed from their uh from their trauma which is it, it it's it's a way of turning things around and uh just yeah getting some distance but uh at the same time putting it out there right and um But you you actually kind of successfully avoided the topic of transgenerational trauma by answering. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's no problem if you if you don't want to talk about. It. I'm just no, interested no. in how that informed your your life or where you can see it, where you like maybe looking back now, knowing more, um, how that has shaped you and your community at home or where you were born and where you were raised. Um, Armenians, when they uh, learn about Armenia or being Armenian, um, they learn a number of realities. First of all, religion. Uh, Armenians are uh, Christian apostolics. Then they learn, obviously, language. They learn culture. They learn um, within that music and literature and so on and history and um, yeah geography uh, and, and so on it's a normal things but from a very armenian perspective when we say when i say geography i don't mean um you know where the rivers where the cities of the world and so on or geological uh, characteristics but you learn um okay where are the centers of the armenian diaspora so where is the armenian community strong where can you go to for example if you wanted to um, if you want to visit a country, where can you connect with an Armenian church, for example, or a community? Yeah, you know, these kinds of things is what I mean by ge geographical. Um, and this is the positive side of the teachings. On the other side, though, you get, as we touched on, the genocide. And a lot of Armenians um, identify with their Armenian-ness through the experience of the genocide so 50 more or less 50 percent of the um, uh, um, people that lived in armenia at the time were were massacred um of the of those that remained uh, from western armenia they spread out around the world um so the traditional armenian diaspora were the survivors of of genocide who were given uh comfort and shelter in the middle east so in syria in iraq in lebanon in jordan um uh, in, in palestine at the time as well they were given shelter they were given homes and food and they were allowed to grow their communities and from there they spread out to all of the other countries essentially that's what happened so the the armenian question is whether you know or we say high tad which is the armenian case um Yeah, you know, this became an, an important part of 
the community or at least some political parts of the community. There were also other parts that wanted to maintain the cultural side, but didn't want to engage in that political pursuit. Um, and as you can imagine, what you said before was really important. You said it's very similar to the Jewish diaspora. The more I learn about different ethnic groups, the more I realize we all have so many similar characteristics. And I, and I have um, a, a Jewish student and we talk quite a bit and, you know, we laugh a lot about ourselves because um, exactly the Jewish community is so similar in so many ways with the Armenian community. And what is very interesting is the Armenian community is also very similar to the Turkish community. Um, the Turkish diaspora with whom this traditional enmity exists. There is also similarities with the Assyrian diaspora and the Assyrians don't have a country um, and, and, and so on. As in, you can go around and, and choose any sort of diaspora around the world um, which recognizes itself as having a specific uh, cultural heritage and you will find similarities. Um, and so I think, how do I deal with this gen transgenerational trauma? Um, is that the question now? Yes, sir. It has been for the past 15 minutes. I'm oh, sorry. I was answering something else, I guess. But uh... No, no. It's, it's very interesting <laughs> ah. to listen to you. I'm learning so, so much. That that's was also one of my goals, to learn more about Armenian culture and history, talking to you. Um, with regards to the transgenerational trauma, if 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 hate remains the focus, then we can forget any possibility of reconciliation. Um, if punishment is the priority, then there's not going to be much dialogue. As in, if somebody phones me up and says, hi, Zach, let's meet up, please. I want to put uh, pins in your finger. Um, I'm probably going to say, can I pass? You know, but if they say, come on, Zach, let's go for a coffee and a nice cake. There's a chance I'll turn up. Um, what, what I see a lot of people doing is they want to confront whoever their um, enemy or uh, yeah, <laughs> the person they have a problem with. Um, you know, they, they, they want to confront these people um, and they want to they hurt them and they want them to know they're going to be hurt and then they can't believe it when they don't turn up to be hurt. And it's like, okay, you know, where's the logic in that? Um, so we really have to try to create a, a, an atmosphere where we can bring opposing sides together that have a genuine desire for reconciliation. And then after that, you can iron out the problems. Um, what I know from what's happened between um, the Armenian and the Ottoman and then the Turk, uh, the governments we have to talk about in many ways. You can't hold Turks responsible for what the, the government did um, over 600 years. Um, a lot of events took place which people from both sides will look at and say, yeah, but this happened. 
or this happened and so on. And of course, as an Armenian, and of course, I know that the history of the genocide, you know, the Armenians didn't try to commit genocide on the Ottomans. So, I mean, that's just a, a ridiculous thing to consider. Um, but you know, there were also instances where uh, Armenian soldiers did kill Turks, or, and there were Turks that were killed that were uh, innocent and not involved in these, um, what had happened. But to sit down and have uh, a conversation where you are talking about potential reconciliation, of course, at some point, recognition has to be made of, of the crimes that were committed. But OK, where do we want to go? What do we want to achieve? I, I don't want to keep fighting. You know, I don't want my kids to keep fighting. I don't want my grandchildren to wake up and think they have to hate that person because that person is the grandchild of some other person. Where's it going to end? Um, and we have to try to, if every parent's intention is that their child's life is better than their own, then we clearly have to find a new way of thinking. Thank you. I think that's a great way to close this mm, this conversation. <laughs> and and it's about yeah, it's about reconciliation and and forgiveness. And and uh, that that and letting go. This this is also something that my teacher Tignatan tried to promote between Alice, uh, Palestinians and Israelis. And there he published um, uh, a book about it, which is now um, downloadable as an ebook for free uh, from Parallax Press because they they actually thought, okay, how can we help in this situation of the of the uh, conflict between Palestinians and uh, Israelis. Um, although even that, to say that between Palestinians and Israelis is kind of, yeah, uh, difficult. Uh, not all Palestinians are naturally in conflict with Israelis and the other way around, but you know what I'm talking about. So they actually, um, they're offering four books about peace work. And uh, I can highly recommend that to anyone listening to this podcast. And we might, uh, we could uh, put the link in the, I hope it's still available. I will check that. I think it's available in November. And and I also, I already downloaded a book. And there is among them one about the, the retreats that they did um, some years ago between Palestinians and Israelis. And that was exactly what they were doing. They were just... Um, listening to each other um, after one week of being listened to by neutral persons the two groups got together and they could really listen with uh with an open heart and an open mind and and really hear the other side uh, but first of all they had to be heard and they had to have that openness to reconcile and this this will to to end to end the negative spiral. And um, so thank you a lot for elaborating on that. I find that very inspirational. And uh, yeah, maybe we can continue this conversation some some other time. <laughs> yeah, thank you for turning the tables as well. So effectively, to be honest, when, when you suggested that uh, this would be a way to go, I, I kind of, I thought to myself, Uh oh, um, am I brave enough? Um, but then I knew I was in safe hands. So um, thank you for that, Lilek, as well. And um, I do appreciate it. Too. Thank you for your trust and your openness. Two. 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 And a mic.